Hello and welcome to Rewatch and Learn. Um, it's been a while. It's apparently really hard to maintain a hobby uh, when you are a full-time student and are also navigating the stresses of the universe like everyone else. So please forgive me for not returning to this project in quite some time since the 2020 Emmys. <laughs> Um, but I am very excited to continue creating episodes in 2021. For today's episode, I have my wonderful friend Anjana Iyer on the show. Um, she and I discuss the Pixar film Soul, which released in December of 2020. Um, of course, was scheduled for a theatrical release, but um, came out on Disney+. Plus. We talk about the implications of soul for sort of the Disney machine right now and um, Disney's bigger franchises um, and also what it means for children's and family entertainment more broadly. So I'm very excited for you to hear our conversation about this. Another thing that I wanted to mention is a number of essays and think pieces and um, film criticism pieces have come out since uh, I recorded this episode and also since I, you know, of course, watched this film back in um, December. So we actually recorded this episode on uh, Thursday the 21st, January 21st, which is a few days before this episode is releasing. Um, and since then, some pieces have come out that touch on the racial dynamics, the frankly messy racial dynamics of this movie at some points. Um, I want to uh, link a piece by Namwali Serpel in The New Yorker. Uh, Serpel definitely discusses this issue much more articulately um, and critically than I would be able to and than what we did in this episode. So please uh, go read the article um, that I link in the description so you can have more context and more of an explanation for why uh, critics are, are really pointing out these issues in the film. Just wanted to mention that before the episode starts. So anyway, here's the conversation. Okay, um, would you like to introduce yourself before we get started with the episode? Sure. Um, my name is Anjana. Um, I'm Anaga's friend from Berkeley. <laughs> what else do you want me to say? Um, tell me a little bit about like what you're studying and why you're interested in film. Sure. Um, so I'm a psychology major, um, but I'm studying a lot of like business and arts, I guess, in college. Um, I got interested in film many years ago because I listened to a lot of film scores like religiously and then that just kind of transformed into like a behind the scenes interest in it and now I'm very interested in filmmaking entertainment marketing basically everything that has to go into the process yeah rad um who's your favorite composer Anjana <laughs> my favorite composer as anyone who has talked to me for more than two minutes knows is Hans Zimmer um, I saw him in concert my freshman year at Berkeley and it changed my whole life. So <laughs> wait, yeah. was he at the Greek theater or did it was? <laughs> it was incredible. You don't even need binoculars to see him. He was like right there, just vibing. Oh, it was great. I like know that this happened and for some reason I feel like I've blocked it out. Or I just assumed that everyone I, I knew that had seen Hans Zimmer saw him somewhere else. But that's really cool. Um and Anjana's really cool and really talented, and we're gonna talk about um, we're gonna talk about some of her work um, as it relates to our topic today, which is the movie Soul. Um, so, just a quick synopsis of Soul, Pixar's Soul. If you haven't seen the movie, um, this is from IMDb, but it's so here's Soul. After landing the gig of a lifetime, a New York jazz pianist suddenly finds himself trapped in a strange land between Earth and the afterlife. So um, this movie stars Jamie Foxx as Joe Gardner, who is this, you know, um, middle-aged man that this movie is really about, who is living in New York. He's a teacher for um, the beginning of the movie when we're introduced to him. 
And it's not super spoilery to say that something goes wrong right away. And uh, he finds himself potentially at the end of the road for his life. Um, but he's not really ready to give up on life yet because um, he has this dream of becoming a successful jazz musician and he just had a breakthrough before this accident happened. So um, it's a Pixar movie. It's like nothing I could tell you is really going to be super spoilery. Um, so take that premise as you will if you have not seen the movie yet. Um, so that's just a little bit about the movie. Um, it also stars Tina Fey, I would say, in the other main role as um, soul number 22, uh, who is this kind of unnamed, unborn entity that takes on Tina Fey's voice um, that Joe meets in this middle world. Um, so I guess the first question I wanted to ask you because this is something that stood out to me when I was watching the movie. Who do you think Soul is for? Um, like, do you think it's a movie for kids? Like a lot of Pixar movies are, are typically geared towards kids or families. Um, or do you think it's for a broader audience? And how do you think that compares to how Pixar has made their films before? Yeah, I think this is one of the first Pixar movies that I feel like this has the broadest audience if I'm unless I'm forgetting a Pixar movie here and there like you have things like Finding Nemo and Finding Dory and Monsters Inc that are like really good kids slash family movies but that anyone can watch um and then you have movies like Up that kind of deal with the process of aging so it's like a lot for older audiences I would say but then you have something like Soul that appeals to say like middle schoolers and high schoolers who are trying to figure their way out in the world, college kids who are about to graduate, adults who are stuck in a rut, elderly adults who think that they spent the last 30 years of their life doing nothing. Like it's such a broad audience that uh, like would enjoy this movie and like actually learn something from it. Yeah, um, something that, I think the thing that really stood out to me about this movie is I kept on thinking to myself throughout it, like if I was nine years old watching this movie, like, would I get it? You know, mm. or would I be affected by it? Or would I even know what was going on? Because a lot of the themes, the very existential themes that it tackles are something that I felt. And I mean, I'm only, I'm only 23. So it's not like I'm in this like weird zone in my life where I'm like, I need to have things figured out. Um, but I, I kept on thinking, like, if I was a kid, would this be hitting me the same way? Um, like, would it have made me as emotional as it did? Mm. Um, yeah, like, what do you think? I feel like if I put myself in the mind of a child looking at this movie, I feel like one of the things that I personally would resonate with is, like, the whole emotional slash, like, personality traits that um, those, like, Tina Fey type characters are assigned before they even head to earth like imagine you're like an eight-year-old kid who isn't getting along with other kids at school and you're trying to figure out like what you're good at like what like hobbies would you be good at things you should do within your spare time after school things like that and you feel kind of this like weird isolation and you want to think about like like what am I what am I good at like it's a very simple question that I feel like even a child could ask themselves like am I good at singing am I good at swimming am I good at like all these other things and this is like a cool way for them to visualize it for the first time like put an actual like image to the idea I agree I agree um also the animation in this music in this move in this movie is gorgeous so good I I think it's an understatement to say that this is their, you know, their best animated film, like visually, um, the technology is stunning. The scenes where Joe is actually in New York and we see like the world of New York around him and his family and friends, um, they were beautiful. Like I've never seen the real world animated like that in a Pixar movie. Also because like Pixar spends a lot of times, like a lot of its time with, um, otherworldly characters um, and it's 
pretty rare to see them like focus on human characters. We've seen them do it before, but um, not, I wouldn't say like they had as much of an emphasis on like the visual qualities. So I really appreciated that. Um, so we're talking about how it like was this sort of escape for an hour and a half, right? Like it was, on one hand, it was very real because it like dealt with a lot of sentiments that I think people experience on a regular basis. I think the, again, like the existentiality of it is something that can hit a lot of people deep, um, especially if you've really pondered, which a lot of us have, the meaning of life or like been driven to find your purpose. Um, at the same time, as much as it makes you question those things, it's very transportive because it is so beautiful and literally half the movie takes place in another world. Um, why do you think it was important that this movie came out at the end of last year and in the way that it did? Where to start? <laughs> um... I'm not even going to go into all the 2020 stuff because it's, it's, there's no point even trying. Um, but I feel like in terms of like emotions that people were feeling, it was a lot of just being depressed and being anxious and learning how to deal with that for the first time on your own. When you're in social situations, you can kind of just act like it's not a problem for you because you're around so many people all the time like as students like we have roommates we have people coming in and out all the time we're surrounded by literally 40,000 other students it's not a priority and like that this pandemic has made us really like address those issues and the fact that this movie came out towards the end of 2020 when people were like so excited for a new year a fresh start um, a new presidency a whole administration that prom has promised to like change so many things in our country it's a very nice like way to cap off a very weird episode in our lives and look forward to a new one like especially because it came out on Christmas day like it kind of helps you set the goals that you want to achieve in 2021 and kind of figure out what priorities you want to have in your life like in terms like socially academically, career-wise, everything. Um, it's just a nice refocus, I think. I think at the same time, um, so much of this movie has to do with the experience of life, like the visceral mm -hmm. experience of life, the tangible experience of it. Um, the character's kind of main transformations really hinge on them getting out of their heads and them just experiencing life like the leaves falling from a tree and you know finding things on the road and and like tasting good food and just genuinely visceral experiences and the fact that this came out at the end of a of a year where so much of us like so much of us so many of us the ones who are fortunate enough frankly to not you know, have to be out and about working on a regular basis in COVID. You know, the majority of us who were spending our time locked in, um, we didn't really experience a lot of the same things that like life has to offer. We missed out on a lot of the visceral experiences. Um, again, I say that as someone who's fortunate to like not have to leave my house, but it, it just kind of made me, frankly, reflect on the fact that I had spent the past year and I'm still spending the beginning of 2021 inside without really experiencing or even appreciating any of the little things, mm. you know? Yeah, it feels, it feels really strange. Some days I wake up and I'm like, is this actually happening to us? Like, I'm not at school in my apartment. I don't like walk outside every day. Yeah, I totally get that. Every time, every time I think about it again, I like it's set in because I think like I've accepted this to be our reality now, but I just think about like myself a year ago and I'm like, that happened like yeah. <laughs> around people. <laughs> so like, um, yeah, I think, I think that 
again, it is really important that this movie came out. It was not, you know, planned to come out in the midst of a pandemic and obviously would have had a theatrical release um, if that was possible. So um, before I talk about sort of the the economics of, of Pixar and Soul, if you will, and sort of the very unique arrangements of this movie coming out in the time of COVID, um, I wanted to ask first, where does Pixar rank? Um, where does Pixar rank? Where does Soul rank in your list of favorite Pixar movies? I think a lot of us, like even who don't typically watch like family or children's entertainment have like that running list. Where does this rank for you? Um, I can honestly say that this pushed its way towards the top really fast. I would probably put this as number one. And this is this is worth mentioning that Ratatouille and Finding Nemo are very close below it, but they are below it. Um, like Pixar has such a reputation for like changing the way you think about the world, especially as a child. Like Finding Nemo made me want to literally become a marine biologist for so many years. And like Ratatouille is such a, it's just, it's a feel good movie about a rat cooking, you know, just what's wrong with Ratatouille? Nothing. So yeah <laughs> so the fact that this went all the way to the top kind of speaks to how much of an impact it had on viewers yeah yeah I think when people ask like the whole favorite movie question is really difficult to answer because I I agree that a lot of my favorite movies I haven't had like a reason for why they're my favorite movies like it was literally I finished it and it left I keep using the word visceral but it left a visceral impact on me like Mm -hmm. um the last time I felt like that was when I watched um like I've I don't know like I've seen movies and like I felt sorry to say this but I felt my soul like lifted at the end of it like I was like oh I was like meant to watch this movie you know um I didn't feel that way about this movie and I say that I say that as someone who loved it I I genuinely think soul is a great movie but maybe it is 2020 um maybe it's the fact that it's like left me much more cynical that I found myself like picking apart the smallest things about it. Um, the smallest things, which I think like wouldn't have even stood out to me 10 years ago also because like I've developed as a person. And so I think mm. like better adept at picking apart movies. Um, but like a part of me feels as if Pixar has found this emotional formula more or less that they're able, like they know what they're doing and they know that they're doing it well. And so they know how to make an impact on their viewers. Mm -hmm. And Soul, as good as it is, I think tends to fit a lot of the same, like you, you know when it's happening, you know, like you know when the like climactic scene is happening and you know that it's like character is gonna have a change of heart or whatever it might be. Um, there's a general rhythm to it. That being said, I think Soul is a lot more successful than the other Pixar film that came out early in the earlier in the year, which was Onward. Did you have a chance to see Onward? I haven't. Surprisingly, I haven't seen it. Okay, okay. I have thoughts about Onward too, but um, I'll touch on them a little bit later. But um, something that is important to mention about Soul. So I would say like Soul is definitely in my top and maybe this is just because I love Pixar films so much. So it's less about like Soul itself and how much like a lot of previous films from Pixar have left like a visceral impact on me. Um, and also it might be a recency bias situation where something came out back when I was five years old. And so in my head, it's automatically like I cherish it. Um, mm. That's how I feel about Toy Story 2, um, which is my favorite Toy Story. And a lot of people are like, why? <laughs> why, why, why two? Um, but I, yeah, I think like Pixar has come out with a number of really powerful films. Um, and Soul is maybe in my top like 10, um, okay. probably higher. I just haven't really thought about how I would place it when we get into like all the sequels and the other original stories that I thought were really powerful. Um, the question that I also wanted to touch on, so you also bring this up actually, 
I keep on referencing this article that Anjana has written about this movie, which I thought was beautiful. Um, do you want to also tell us about like your movie reviews and, and this like blog that you've started? Sure. Um, so this is a blog on Medium that my friend and I began um, last year, I think towards the start of the pandemic, actually. Um, it we We really love discussing movies. Like that's pretty much 85% of the stuff that we talk about. So we figured we might as well try to put it down on paper. And it started off as just like a way for us to like get our emotions down about a movie. And then it very quickly turned into like almost an exercise in, for me at least, getting my thoughts down concisely and reflecting on the most important things that stood out to me. But anyway, so we've written a few um, film reviews so far. I wrote one for Soul a few weeks ago when I first watched it. Um, and the crux of it was kind of centered around how the movie made me feel and not necessarily like the technical aspects of it, which was a first for me. Um, Cause when I watched the movie, I felt so strongly about it that I literally just sat down and I wrote down like all these things that came to mind when I watched it, like things that made me feel alive almost as trite as that sounds. Um, and I just I just wrote down this like massive list of things that I was feeling and then I turned it into my review basically. And I went around asking people like, what are some things that you can reflect on that come to mind? And so I'm slowly compiling a list um, of all those things, but yeah, that's the crux of the review. I was really obsessed with the piece after reading it, especially as someone who misses Berkeley. Um, and like here, I'm reading the first line from it, but walking through the Campanile Esplanade, <laughs> okay, at night and looking up at the tower lit from within, um, feeling the leaves crunch under my feet as I walk to class, breathing in the crisp air that reminds me of hot cider and pie and wind and feeling warm inside despite my slowly numbing fingertips. Um, I think like things like this are like, again, the way you've written it is a really powerful reminder of what we can look forward to, I think, once this is all over, <laughs> which there will be an end to this, I promise. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's a thing that we can like genuinely look forward to. Um, and that's why it is important to have um, words like this to go along with movies like this. Um, because again, it's not something that a lot of us have gotten to experience during the year. And once again, I would like to reiterate how fortunate we are to be able to say that. Mm -hmm. um, and lastly, before we move on to like all the um, broader significance of this movie in like modern Pixar and modern Disney, um, I'd be remiss to not mention that this is Pixar's first movie that has a black male lead as um, its central character. Um, you know, Disney, it's like Disney has had a track record of not um, having many people of color as its lead characters, period. Black lead characters especially. And so Soul is very significant in that way. Um, so I would like to ask how you felt about the general, I mean, neither of us are black, so we're I think we're both being very cognizant of how we're approaching this also, but um, I think it's important that Pixar did that. People know how I feel about um, political symbolism, symbolic mm -hmm. politics, and the limits of symbolic politics, but I think that representation is important nonetheless. And until we have equal representation, I am not going to back off that point. Um, so I think it's really important that Pixar did this. Um, yeah, my one, like, my one complaint, Anjana, before I, like, ask you for your take also on this and how it affected you was, I wish on one hand that they didn't spend half the movie as blobs in the mm -hmm. small world. Like, I loved this movie when they were in New York and we got to see Joe doing his thing in New York. Um, and whenever they were in the like soul world afterlife zone, 
I just kept on craving like the the reality and the crispness and like the color of their life in New York. Um, like it obviously, I don't know. Like I, I just felt like there was this weird like imbalance between how much we even get of like human Joe. Um, I don't know. It just kind of also reminded me of like when Disney had Princess and the Frog and Tiana as their first like black Disney princess. And she spent like 75% of the movie as a frog. Yep. <laughs> Yo. Um, so that was my one qualm. Um, and also no spoilers about this aspect, but there is a big thing that happens in the middle third of the movie. Um, I'm going to take a pause here. If you haven't seen Soul, you can skip uh, I'll give you a timestamp in the description for where you can skip to. Um, so skip now if you haven't seen it. If you have, stick around. Okay. Um, so basically, like I, that was such a podcast move for me to do. But um, <laughs> basically, the thing that I felt uneasy about while watching the movie, and then eventually, like the discourse started swinging around to this point, but like the fact that for the middle third of the movie again, when Joe is in his human form, it's really like Tina Fey voicing mm -hmm. Joe and and I should say Jamie Foxx voicing a cat um, when both of their souls kind of fall back into the human world. Um, and I wish there was, I get what they were trying to do with it. And I get what they were trying to do with like Tina Fey being also like, haha, my voice is annoying, like middle-aged white lady. Um, but I wish there was, a different way they could have potentially approached it. Um, and I'm wondering how Pixar would respond to that sort of criticism. Cause it's not a criticism that I've, I've seen like, like other people have made this point. I'm just wondering if like, it's something that's going to affect um, like people's perception of this movie down the line. Yeah, what do you think? Mm. It's a good it's a good thing to think about. I was thinking about this too. I saw I saw the tweets that you're talking about and just like the general discourse about it online. Um it was very interesting. I haven't actually watched it a second time, so I want to go back and like see what like stands out to me about this problem. Um one thing I did appreciate is that they don't stay in that blob form for too long. Um, so there is still a good amount of them being human, even if their roles are technically switched. I am, I was also wondering, like, what are the ways they could have gone around doing this differently? Like, if they could have transplanted him into another human, for example, instead of a cat, because um, as long as you get that outside perspective, like, that's what they were going for, right? So, um, it's, it's worth thinking about. Um, I think I want to appreciate the way that they like, the amount of energy that they spent putting into creating this whole like black culture within this movie, like they paid attention to details and they tried to make it as accurate as possible. So I want to give them props for that. Just like the way they talk, the like surroundings, like the relationships between the different characters. Um, so on this particular one, I feel like, I honestly don't know. <laughs> I mean, also it's like a very deep question. Yeah. None of us really have the answers to, yeah. um, and shouldn't have like us speaking as outsiders, like shouldn't have the answer. <laughs> but yeah, like, yeah, no, thank you. Um, so beyond just like our perceptions of the movie, um, I also just wanted to talk about Pixar. Um, so Pixar has obviously been like a really major player with Disney in the last like 20, 20 plus years since Toy Story came out. Um, and they've, they've done like lighter entertainment, like Cars, Incredibles 2. Those are, you know, they have that like line of entertainment. Then they also have like a lot of this like heavier, existential, dramatic, really rounded films. Like I think all of the Toy Story movies, they are playful at times and they're funny, but they all like get very serious at this, like at the same time. Um, of course they have like Wally, -E, which is like very intense for a children's movie, frankly, Up. 
um, Inside Out and Coco also remind me of like their last um, last couple of original movies that really veered into the same existential territory. Um, so like, why do you think this has made Pixar a major player in family and children's entertainment? Hmm. I think this whole like launch into, into the existential realm that you mentioned is one thing that really made Pixar stand out um, amongst all these other like typical children's and family movies because I feel like these are the kind of movies that like you would want to show your children but that you could learn something from as well like it's not just like a brain dead kind of humor where it's like that's like childish humor you know like it's not those kinds of movies don't really last very long like yeah you can watch them with your kids a couple times but like it's not something that's at the top of your mind when you grow up or like even after like a period of like 20 years maybe but Pixar has kind of managed to stand out in that way like you really learn something from their movies no matter what age you're in and gives you a really good topic to even talk to your children about I'm not I'm not a parent i like there's only so much I can contribute to this, but like theoretically speaking, like these are conversation topics that are very important when you're growing up and that should be addressed. And this is just a nice way of starting that conversation, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think that it's sort of uniquely positioned them as like, it can appeal to children but also adults go out of their way to watch Pixar movies like I think I'm gonna keep watching original Pixar movies like despite you know like despite not having children of my own like I'm gonna keep watching you know what I mean um so yeah um and then on top of that so Pixar is obviously part of the larger Disney apparatus um Disney is like slowly kind of expanding its monopoly on the entertainment industry. It's not quite a monopoly, but it does um, command a major market share of, of like the entertainment industry. Um, along with all the Disney properties, it also has Pixar, um, it has Lucasfilms, and it has the MCU, I should say Marvel Studios. Um, and so all of these large companies on their own, these major studios on their own, fall under the Disney banner. Um, a lot of people have sort of traced like these studios that end up falling under the Disney banner. You can kind of tell that the storylines start becoming more family friendly. Um, a lot of these major studios, I don't want to say Pixar because Pixar has always been like a family studio, but um, a lot of these you know, Lucasfilms and, and, and Marvel especially like have potentially veered away from going into more mature content because they're always cognizant of like being under the Disney label. How do you feel, this is a very broad question and like something that's like still being debated, but like, how do you feel about like having the Disney attachment on a lot of these major movies that are coming out? Hmm. It's, it's very interesting because it's kind of weird to think about the fact that like Star Wars and Spider-Man and Nemo are all owned by the same company. Yeah. <laughs> like they're wildly different things, but um, I feel like the Disney name has done a lot to maybe boost just like the brand overall. Like you get more funding, you get more advertising, um, you get a shot at potentially getting your own theme park, which is not something you could have had before. Um, so it's interesting. Um, I honestly don't really know how I feel about it. Like it kind of feels like a monopoly, but at the same time, I think they are doing what they can to keep all those brands separate. Um, and I think that slowly people are starting to realize that too, like the fact that movies like Deadpool which are R-rated are making their way into MCU like Deadpool 3 is technically part of the MCU I think they just announced so things like that like they're trying to slowly make sure those brands stick to what they originally came here for while still 
putting them under the Disney umbrella. So I honestly don't know how it's going to go um, in upcoming years because they've announced so much new content coming out. So I guess we just have to wait and see what happens. But um, I'm really hoping that they continue making that effort to stick to their original brands like Star Wars, for example. They have like three new shows coming out. And um, yeah, so we'll see. There's also something to be said about, um, I, I want to also talk about Disney Plus and the role of Disney Plus um, for that really quickly. Um, so the movie that came out shortly before Soul last year, um, the release dates were originally going to be much closer together, of course, for these movies, but Onward, um, okay, so Onward, of course, stars Chris Pratt and Tom Holland in its main um in its two lead roles and that movie feels much more a part of this Disney apparatus than Soul does just by virtue of having those two as its main characters voice its main characters um they're both like obviously major players in the MCU and they've both like really become major stars in the last five six years um so I think like in that sense, Soul felt a lot less cynical to me. Like Onward felt very much like, I actually really enjoyed Onward, mm -hmm. um, but I was still pretty cynical about it's like commercial connections and how much it felt like very like made for the sake of being a part of this Disney machine that we've built. Um, and Soul, again, because it's like directed by Pete Docter, I trust his judgment. Um, felt a lot more organic. So that is to Soul's credit um, and to the makers of Soul's credit. Um, so Soul debuted on Disney Plus at the end of last year and not in a, in a theater. We know why. But another thing that I found interesting about this was that it didn't have the added price tag despite debuting on Disney Plus. So earlier during the year, Mulan, the live action Mulan also debuted on Disney Plus, but had, I think a price, like you had to pay for it like $30 um, mm -hmm. to view it. Uh, and then eventually they removed the price tag once some time had passed. But Soul, I, did, I didn't have to pay to see it. You know, I had the Disney Plus subscription. So how did you feel about that? Um, do you think that was a good or bad thing? Um, and I mean, what do you think this means for like the accessibility of, of new movies that are coming out during this time? Yeah, um, I think it was definitely a good thing that they didn't put a price tag on it. I think this is a combination of them figuring out how they want to approach the whole inability to go to the theater thing. And Mulan was definitely one of the first experiments in that like they had been planning this movie for so long it had a huge budget um they were definitely expecting a lot of theater revenue from it so it was interesting that they put it on for that $30 price tag and then took it off after so I think that definitely speaks to the fact that they're still trying to figure it out um but it might also be because the fact that they didn't charge viewers to watch Soul is that I, maybe because it's technically a children's and family movie, like you might not necessarily want to pay that much. Like I personally don't really know too many people who would want to go see a Pixar movie in theaters in the first place. Like usually people just wait for it to come on DVD or a streaming service or something like that. Um, but all that aside, I'm very glad that they didn't put a price tag on it because people could watch it and like, express how they felt about it within a day or two of it coming out. And that was a very unique experience, I think, um, because it spoke to so many of us and it came out as exactly the right time. Maybe that's like part of the consideration that went into it. But um, in terms of just like the whole streaming service deal in general, um, there are so many streaming services now, many. so many, like, I never thought that you would have to a lot money to pay for all of this, you know, like we 
our family has been with Netflix since it was doing the DVD thing. We still have the DVD thing. Every couple of weeks, we get the in-mail DVDs, but it's... It, you can't you can't get all the titles on streaming so it works for us but it's it's just blown up beyond belief and every single studio has one of their own and it definitely makes content a lot more accessible i do wish the prices were not as high but it's an interesting experiment and i think that a lot of people are like oh because of this like people are never going to go to the theaters again i definitely don't think that's true so many of us miss the theater at this point. So I think it's just going to be an added point of revenue and just an easy way for people to watch things over and over again, like I very often tend to do. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so it's, I feel like this is all a very big experiment, a very marked transformation in Hollywood too, I think. Like this is the first time that some, a change this big is happening in a while, so we'll see how it goes. It's definitely been like expedited by COVID. It was, others have pointed out to this, other like movie pundits have have pointed this out, but um, they've, they've noted that this was kind of a trend that we were already seeing more and more movies starting to come out exclusively on Netflix, um, yeah. more and more movies starting to come out exclusively on these platforms. Hamilton, um, was originally going to come out in theaters last year and it debuted on Disney Plus um, along with the many Netflix originals and other films, of course. Mm. But it was a trend that we saw before, but this was kind of the only way a lot of people could see movies this year. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a good thing, again, for accessibility, but it is worth noting that it's, it's going to be hard for theaters to recover from, from this year. And, yeah. and it's all like a part of that also, which is scary and unfortunate. Um, and I'm very excited to be in a theater soon. I can't wait. <laughs> um, did you, did you happen to see Wonder Woman 1984? Did I you, did. did you watch it like that same weekend? Cause I yeah. think they came out the same day. And I just remember there is that one weekend where everyone was talking about like Wonder Woman and Soul on the timeline. And I remember, <laughs> yeah, I think I watched it pretty close to the release date too. Yeah. I just like, I, I, it was interesting because usually when, when movies come out, like we wait for weeks to get like everyone's collective response. Um, the only movie I know of that frankly, everyone seemed to watch it in one weekend when it was a traditional theater release was Avengers Endgame. Oh, oh yeah. That was like, okay, within two days, everyone seems to have a take. Mm-hmm. But this was the this was the only other time I can think of where everyone really watched it as soon as these movies dropped. So yeah. yeah. Also just the speed of discourse is much faster. Oh, definitely. I feel like it was very much like like you said before, Netflix has been building up to the, up to this for a while. Like every new Netflix show that would drop, like it happened with Queen's Gambit, with Bridgerton, with all these kinds of things. Like the turnaround time for people's opinions is unbelievable. Like you, you have the entire internet talking about one TV show. It's like you, we could never have imagined this would have happened 10 years ago. So it's pretty incredible. Yeah. What's Pixar's impact on other studios, on other comparable studios? And looking forward, what do you want Pixar to do next? I think the next films, they've definitely, you know, announced a handful of films at that last big Disney Plus announcement drop, um, Disney announcement. But... um, what do you personally want to see them do? Good question. Do you want me to start with the impact one or the, Let's what do I want to see them do? Do impact and then what you want them to do. Yeah. Okay. Um, impact. I think Pixar, because of their reputation to kind of prioritize this emotional, thoughtful component to their films, 
I think that has reflected a lot on other studios. I can't imagine other studios trying to match up to it because this is Pixar's brand. Like breaking into that brand is a whole other beast of its own. But I think it kind of reminds people, it definitely reminded me of like why you're in the whole movie making thing at all. Like the point was to come in and have this medium of telling stories and conveying these emotions and like all those kinds of things. And I think it kind of reaffirmed and well, really reminded people of that common goal that you have in movie making. And I really hope that other studios like paid attention to that. Like there's a lot of content that you see these days that it's honestly, it's trash television. And the reason that they're making money off of it is because half the people are hate watching it. There's no offense to them. It's like- I do like too, so. Yeah, I do that too. And like, it's fun to do. And it's just like a fun thing to like bond with your friends around, but you can't have all of the content be like that. Like you have to remember that you're in this to like convey an emotion or like teach a lesson or have people think about a topic. So I think that has been their primary impact in my opinion. Um, In terms of things I wanna see them do, If I had the answer to this, I would ask them if I could direct a movie for them. That's been my dream since I was like seven. So, (laughs) and it's a, it's a really interesting thing to think about. I think, I don't know if Pixar would do this or if Disney animation would do this, but I want them to start incorporating more people of color stories into the work that they do. Like, especially with Disney overall, like you have all these like princesses and all these kinds of things. And I think speaking from a South Asian perspective, there is zero content that features us. There's Aladdin, yeah, sure. But Jasmine's not actually Indian, for example, like contrary to what people think. So I want them to be more like aware of this and start to like create content that caters towards these other audiences that have been ignored basically for so long. Like, can you imagine the impact that a Pixar movie about a little Indian kid would have like absolutely incredible. I know there's the Pixar short, but an actual Pixar feature length film about these things. Yeah. So I think that's what I want to see them do next. How about you? Do you have you thought about this question? I like sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. Um, I so besides Bao, I feel like I haven't seen a great Pixar short in a number of years. And I love the Pixar shorts. Um, I think broadly, I want Pixar to start making more, really leaning into their original storytelling. Um, So with the shorts, and also just with their feature films in general, this is a very broad answer. But I think that this trend that we've seen of like, kind of you know, bringing back their like treasured original films. Like they did this with The Incredibles. They did this with Finding Nemo. They did this with Monsters um, and Toy Story, of course. Of all of their sequels, the only ones that I found to be like really, really good and really successful have been like the Toy Story sequels. Um, And like, I enjoy the other Pixar sequels, sure. But like whenever Pixar comes out with like an original movie, I'm blown away. Um, like I like Soul was was great. I loved Coco. Mm-hmm. I loved um, I loved Inside Out. Um, I loved in the 2000s when they had that stretch of like Wall-E, Ratatouille, Up, beautiful films. And I think that's like what Pixar does best. Like it's like it's original storytelling, um, and. I agree in that, like, in addition to showcasing um, stories centering, like, leads of color, um, I think, like, when Pixar does something like Soul or, like, Coco, which really takes the cultural aspects of leads and, like, puts them at the forefront, um, I, and, like, of leads, like, families, and puts those stories at the forefront, I think that's when when Pixar is at its best. And I want more of that. I want like more of that for like everyone. Um, yeah. So do it in a, in a feature length film or in a short. 
I don't care. Just no more, um, no more unnecessary sequels is my take. Um, so yeah, and Pixar, I am that person that that will keep going to the theater to see Pixar movies. Like I fully am that person. Um, I, I totally get what you're saying when you say most people are gonna wait until streaming, but like, no, I'm like, if there's a new Pixar movie, especially if there's one that I want to see, um, like, I mean, Onward was the last movie that I saw in theaters before the pandemic actually. So now I feel very like weirdly like attached to Pixar and like the history of Pixar. Um, but Soul, if I had the chance to see this in the theater, are you kidding? <laughs> like, no, I would have lost my mind. Oh God, yeah. I would have been crying in that theater. Yeah, I, I would have too. I actually, I cried during both Onward and Toy Story 4, which are the last two Pixar movies oh. I saw. <laughs> I think I I think I sat and cried in the theater during um, Coco. That's yeah. the last one I can remember. Absolutely incredible movie. I don't know how I could have forgotten that in my list. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. I didn't get to see it in the theater, but it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, yeah. So those were all of my questions. Do you have any last like parting thoughts, Anjana, for this episode before I eventually have you on again? <laughs> Um, parting thoughts, let's see. Oh, well, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the score really fast. Um, Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, and they got, they got John Baptiste, that's his name, right? Yeah, I think. Yeah, um, they did an incredible job. Like, part of the reason I get so moved by the movies I watch is because of the score. Like, it's completely like, all-encompassing like it really pulls you in I listened to it for years after anyway so I think they really went above and beyond with this um Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross always do a really good job of like keeping it subtle but also keeping it very impactful like if you've seen the social network their score is incredible I listen to it all the time so um major props to them yeah. <laughs> for pulling it off yet again and I just loved the jazz elements in it, which I think is what they were really going for. I think that's what John Batiste was like, really, that was his focus. And they did an incredible job, like the same way that he gets in the zone in the movie, like you really feel it when you're watching it. It's very authentic. I love that. Yeah, all the scenes of him at the piano are gorgeous. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and the scene of also like all the scenes where he's in like the basement concert venue gorgeous yeah one of my favorites yeah thank you for bringing in the score yeah. and also thank you for being here thank um, you for having me this was really fun we got to do this again we we will i promise when i uh start trying to maintain a schedule um so thank you for thank you for being here um yeah